I was doing all the faddy things. I was thinking, go gluten-free, go dairy-free. You know, nobody likes the idea of having surgery. So you think, oh, I can control it with food. Aloe vera gels. I got at the most extreme, I was ordering in boxes of wheatgrass and juicing it and drinking that. And I said to her, I'd like to ride London to Paris in 24 hours. And her thoughts were, what? <laughs> and she went, well, I don't know if you'd be able to, Caroline. She goes, I'll be honest, you have had surgery this year and you know, you've got a stoma. So it was quite negative. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the power of storytelling podcast. Well, hello there. Welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted that you're with us today. Now, my guest today has an incredible story. And I don't think I really realized how incredible it was until if you listened to an earlier episode of this podcast, you would have heard from the fantastic Louise Minchin. And she was talking all about her book and her book called Fearless, which is out now. So if you haven't read it, you're going to want to read it because it tells the story of some incredible incredible women. I realized when I was reading it, hang on a second, I know one of these women. She's in my world. We've not really connected before, but I know her name. Why do I not know that not only is she a qualified business mentor, inspirational speaker, but she's also running Ironmans, triathlons, and She's doing it with a long-term health condition, which she's going to tell us all about today, but she's doing it so that she can inspire others to not feel like their lives are over because our lives are never over. It doesn't matter what you get dealt at any point. There is always a way to refocus and relook at what is happening to you. Caroline Bramwell, I'm delighted to have you on the podcast. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So tell me a little bit about your story up to the point where everything changed overnight for you. Yeah, I suppose that the worst part of it, which brought me to that moment of change, was that I was pregnant with my second child, my daughter. During that pregnancy, quite early on, I was bleeding. And having miscarried before, I was worried that I was losing another one. But actually, the diagnosis was, no, this isn't a miscarriage. It's coming from the wrong part of your body. It's coming from the back passage. And it turns out that I had, well, they believed IBS to start with. But actually, uh, from the symptoms, they believed there was more going on. And I couldn't have that confirmed until I was after six months pregnant because they needed to give me a scope up the bum as it were but you don't want a chance losing the baby so it had to be after six months but basically I had ulcerative colitis which is the inflammation of your large intestine so it's a bit like Crohn's disease that affects a different part of your intestine generally further up for me the colitis was actually so not in the small intestine mine was in the large intestine the colon the whole of it 
was ulcerated and bleeding. That's what the bleeding was. It was ulcers, basically. So when you eat or anything, it's like rubbing an open wound. So I was suffering with that. But they couldn't do anything till after the pregnancy, really. And that's quite difficult because, you I mean, you've got to watch to a certain extent what you eat anyway during pregnancy. You don't want to do what I did and put on four stone because you're just eating whatever you feel like. Um, <laughs> but you've got to watch what you're eating. But even more so when you've got this, because certain foods, I'm guessing, will react in certain ways. And that makes it even more uncomfortable for you. Yeah, I found during pregnancy, whilst I was diagnosed with it it wasn't at its extreme and it was only after Natasha was born that it became really bad because it's funny how your body supports the baby while you're carrying them Natasha was a cesarean birth partly because of my condition and she was breech which didn't help you know I have problems going in one direction now I've got her feet pressing on my bladder and never helped either in the pregnancy so Tasha was born by cesarean and just to give you an idea of the impact of the disease once the baby was born the disease uh, could really take hold of me I lost two stone in two weeks of having Natasha um, you can imagine the body just cannot produce milk I couldn't feed her she had to become bottle head fed from two weeks old because the disease just racked my body really and the only way to treat it was with steroids because colitis the itis on the end gives the clue this is inflammation it's a disease and the only way to control it was drugs but it's like the day-to-day -day living with it was a bit like having bad food poisoning all the time so that's what it got like at its worst but it's like your own body is attacking you when you've got an illness, you've got a virus, your body's immune system sends the guns out, you know, it fights off those viruses. With this, it's an autoimmune disorder, so it turns the guns inward. So it's basically your own autoimmune system is attacking your body. That's what it was doing, and that's why it was attacking my insides. And I lived with that for four years. From the moment she was born, it was, Natasha was nearly four when I made the decision that I needed to get control of it. I was doing all the faddy things. I was thinking, go gluten-free, go dairy-free. You know, nobody likes the idea of having surgery. So you think, oh, I can control it with food. Aloe vera gels. I got at the most extreme, I was ordering in boxes of wheatgrass and juicing it and drinking that. But at the end of the day, it was a disease. It wasn't going to be fixed. And the medication, there are pictures of me really bloated because steroids give you that big bloated moon face. And I got to the point I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. So it was horrendous. It was quite depressing. My daughter then was coming up for four. My son is two years older. So when I had this illness, I was living with it with two toddlers, really. And it was only on the night we went to the cinema when um, I had an attack. I, just, I call it an attack. It's a flare up. And that's the urgency. This disease is like, I need the toilet now, right now. You cannot control it. It takes over. You lose bowel control and everything. It's horrific. Um, and I generally became housebound because, you know, you couldn't leave the house because you didn't know any second. I'd had so many instances when I've been out and been stuck in, you know, bad places where I've had to go to the toilet. I left a meeting once with a potential client. And I was gone for nearly an hour and they had to come and check that I was okay. I mean, that's how severe this disease was. And being my own business, running my own business for 30 plus years, I was losing clients. I had staff, which meant I couldn't then keep my staff. 
because I couldn't keep the work coming in. So I ended up having to let my staff go and confronting the idea that I'd need to have some surgery. But my husband never saw me in the street. He'd see me indoors. When I have a flare up in the house, I literally couldn't get from the ground floor to the first floor to the bathroom. That's how quick it is. It's just instant. And I had two little children. I couldn't roll on the floor, couldn't play with them because it would set my stomach off. I called myself the invisible mum because we tried going on holiday to Butlins for a weekend and I spent the whole weekend in the chalet while they were off doing everything. My husband did absolutely everything. And it was only on a night to the cinema. My husband saw it out in the street, which he never appreciated how I coped with it day to day outside of the house. And I ended up being in the bushes for 45 minutes, hour, and he was just on watch and he was mortified. He just did not appreciate. It's not that he didn't appreciate it. He never understood the impact and how severe it can be when I'm outside. And that's the night that we had the conversation. When you're telling me all of this, my heart is literally breaking for you because that the invisible mum, that must have just like that would that would break anyone the fact that you can't get down on the floor the fact that you can't be playing with them the fact that you can't do all of those things and to get caught out as you were on that night out with your husband it's probably it's what needed to happen it's not a great thing to have happened at all and it must have been mortifying for you as well although you were obviously you were just concentrating on getting through that moment as much as you possibly could and looking after yourself as much as you could. What was the conversation that you had? I'm guessing it was around having surgery. Yeah, my consultant had suggested surgery about a year before and I'm still in that avoiding the discussion. I don't want surgery. And that evening um, after I came out of the bushes, absolutely, I was washed out, as you can imagine. Um, My husband said, right, I think we do need to sit down and have some conversations. And his idea was, I think we need to install a portaloo in the back of the car. And mine was, it's not quite what I had in mind. And so that's the night I went, I think let's talk about the surgery. And we did that very evening. We sat down and discussed the surgery, the options. Do I go make it a permanent surgery? Do I make it temporary with the idea of reversing it later on? And what that means is that you would keep your rectum and they would just give you a temporary stoma with the idea of then reconnecting you at a later date. Um, But in my case, the colitis was all the way right down to the very last part of the rectum, which meant even if I had a stoma, I'd still have the colitis, I'd still have those symptoms. And so mentally, that was tough because it meant if I make this decision, it's forever. There's no going back. There's no, oh, what ifs, you know. But actually we discussed it at length. To have a reversal surgery meant at least one or two more surgeries afterwards. And I actually said, you know what? It's about priorities. My priority was quality of life with the family, the children. And I said, if having one surgery, take the whole lot away, make it permanent. And that means removing the rectum completely means no going back. Then that's what I want. And I made the decision that night that that's how I wanted. But mentally, that's a tough one to know you've made a decision without knowing what might have been the options in the future. So for anyone listening that doesn't really understand what a stoma is, how would you describe it in layman's terms? A stoma is basically the end of your intestine. What they do, they create an incision in your abdomen, you know, the muscle wall, and they bring out part of your intestine. For me, mine's an ileostomy, which is the end of my small intestine. If you 
remember those days at school when you had those pictures, you got all the wiggly bit of the small intestine, then you've got the big square kind of bit of the large intestine at the end and drops down to the bum. In my case, the whole of that large bit was removed in my small intestine, then gets brought out through the stomach wall and it's like a little thumb. It's a little thing that sticks out through your wall. But basically that is your stoma. It's the end of your intestine that's actually sticking out. And then they sort of double it back, stitch it to your skin and you just wear a stoma bag over it. There are colostomy. A lot of people have heard of colostomies, colostomy bags. Colostomy, it's still a stoma like mine is, but it's on the other side of the body. Mine's on the right side because that's typically where the small intestine will come out. With a colostomy, it's where they've still got part of the large intestine. So theirs comes from part of their large intestine. So theirs is typically on the left. So that's how you could tell whether it's left or right, but also they act differently. A colostomy, it's more formed, it's more controllable. Whereas mine, the end of your small intestine, it just does its thing, it works permanently. So I just wear a stoma bag all the time to collect the output. That... It, like for anyone to go through that it was a major, major decision, but you couldn't carry on as you were. And this would, I'm guessing, give you a bit more freedom in your life, being able to go about your life in a much better way. Did it help you in terms of, right, I can now start doing a few more things. I can now start living my life again. It's been on hold for all this time. Now I feel like I can start to be more of the mum that I always wanted to be. Yeah, that was the big thing. I mean, so many people, you know, come out of surgery and are worried about what they can do. And a lot of people go in emergency surgery and come out with it and hate it. I went into it with the full knowledge of what was going to happen. And I was told that I woke up smiling so because it was like, yes, it's gone. I'm in control again. But mine was actually done up in Bristol. And I was the first person in the world to ever have what they call a single site keyhole surgery. I knew it was going to be keyhole, but my surgeon was a leading surgeon and he did it through one hole. So I've got no scars. He brought my stoma out through the hole where he did the surgery. So I've got no scars on my body. Uh, all I've got is my zip up my bum. So I've got Barbie's butt. That's the one thing I have got. But it was, for me, I've got a bag, but actually I can get up, I can walk about, I can go wherever I like. I'm in control of this. And that's when I sort of start to feel like me again. But I still had all the bloated and overweightness that I had to then contend with mentally as well. And was that the point where you were like, hang on a second, I now have this control back. Now I'm starting to feel more like me. So actually, what would I like to do? What are the kind of things that I would really like to push my body elsewhere and see what it's capable of? Was that quite soon after or did it take a bit of time for you to start thinking about, I'm going to start running and racing and doing all the things to do with Ironman? Um, to be honest, all my life I've been a couch potato. I love watching sport. I like watching the Tour de France. I like Marathon de Sable. All these phenomenal things I watch on telly, but only ever from my sofa. I literally did no sport. I hated it at school. I hated cross-country running. Anything to avoid it was my life. Uh, but this big bloated me, I knew I needed to lose it. But I also knew there is no way on this planet I was going to go out and do a run every day. The girl who hates running is not going to go out and do a jog every day. And I needed a goal. So what I did, I did my 
I had my surgery in the March and then I went and saw my GP in around the October and said to her, I'd like to do this challenge. Well, she didn't know I'd, I'd actually already signed up for it. <laughs> but, but, you know, they say, you know, if you're going to do anything new and extreme, make sure it's okay with GP. And I thought, well, I have had surgery. And I said to her, I'd like to ride London to Paris in 24 hours. And her thoughts were, what? <laughs> and she went, well, I don't know if you'd be able to, Caroline. She goes, I'll be honest, you have had surgery this year. And, you know, you've got a stoma. So it was quite negative. Or maybe just not getting my hopes up, getting you whoopee, off you go. Uh, and I said to her, well, look, can I just see how the training goes? Now, bear in mind, I was not sporty. And so she said, well, we'll see how the training goes. I came out thinking she didn't say no. So that meant yes. So I hired a PT and he used to take me out cycling. Even on the flat, I hated it because it was so hard. But we, I live in North Devon. Yeah, there's lots of hills, but we also have the Tarka Trail, which is flat along the estuary. So he didn't take me out riding on a mountain bike, um, training on that. And then I got onto a road bike. I realised I could go a lot quicker on a road bike. And I did. So I hired him in the November. So I had surgery in the March, hired him in November. And then in the following July, I cycled London to Paris as a relay within 24 hours. And I got to Paris with seven minutes to spare inside the 24 hours. I learned so much on that trip so much about looking after my bag. I can stay on a bike longer than other people. I've got a bag. I don't have to stop for a poop behind the bushes sort of thing. And the fact that if I did need to do a bag change, it was so quick and easy on the bike. So I learned that I could actually push it, but I was doing it for myself, not for anybody else. I just wanted to prove to myself I was back. And that was my first challenge. I rode London to Paris a year and a bit after surgery. What a challenge and what an amazing turnaround in terms of your mindset. That must have been and provided you with a real breakthrough moment. I can do this. Did that then make you think, what else can I do? What, how else can I push myself? <laughs> you might think so, but actually I slipped into catch potato mode for another two years until the people I met in, on the Paris ride said, let's do Newcastle to London 24 so we did that. We rode a 24-hour from Newcastle to London on the bikes. It rained for 18 hours, so it was the wettest ride of your life. Floods, the lot. It was horrendous. But after that, I thought, I need something new. I need a new challenge because I realised I quite liked it and it was something to do. I'd proven to myself that I can do this now with the bike. And I thought, I'm not much of a swimmer, but I'll go and learn to swim. And that's that was my only next goal, doing something different. And the reason was my children swim like dolphins. We live on the coast and they, they've been swimming since they were old enough to get into a lesson, like four or five years old. So they swim like dolphins. And all that time I had lost with them when they were tiny, I felt if I learned to swim, I could have all that time back with the kids. So I went to my local pool and started at the beginning of lessons. Um, I was one of those people who couldn't put a face in the water. I was terrified from an event when I was tiny. So I was scared of putting my face in the water. I was hyperventilating. I'd never go outside of my depth. So I started taking lessons. And by the time I could swim two lengths, I thought, oh, I can swim. And, and I know I can ride a bike. Running is just putting one foot in front of the other. I wonder if there's a triathlon or something. So it's just my own personal little challenge, really. It was like, oh, maybe I could do that. And I found the local tri club, North Devon Tri. 
And I went along one Sunday morning to their swim session and I was I sat on the side crying because I was so far out of my league with these guys because they're Ironman, you know, they're all amazing. Even though I was in the slow lane, I was struggling. And I just realised how far out I was. Um, I could do two lengths and then I'd stop to get my breath. But I persisted because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed their company. They were encouraging, supportive. And they didn't know at that point that I had a stoma. And uh, that was what I felt like I'm like everybody else, but I'm starting from the basics. And my first triathlon was our in-club try that we had, where it's a swim in the pool, which is typically 400 metres, so it's 16 lengths of a pool. There was, um, I think it was a 12-kilometre bike ride, and then you do a 5K run on the end. But my theory of anybody can run actually is not quite true (laughs) you can't just run without training Um, I learned that the hard way um, because on that event what they do they put the slow people in first so you get in the water first so the theory is the slow ones by the time the slow ones are finishing all the fast ones are caught up you all kind of finish at the same time so that's the way they run events I was one of the first people in the water I was so slow on all bits particularly the run that the man collecting the arrows actually caught me up the man coming around at the end caught me up collecting the arrows and he said you've not done this before have you and I went no and he said okay let's do a run walk strategy and he stuck with me we run for a minute walk for a minute run for a minute and it's like walk the ups run the downs and so he stuck with me I was 20 minutes behind the last person so I was so slow but it doesn't matter you finished and you know it's the people like that man picking up the arrows who's just like, can I help you? Can I get you across that finish line? Because it means a lot to you. And I can tell it means a lot to you because you're, you've not given up. You're keeping on going. Those are the people that we all need in our lives. The people that are going to be like, walk alongside us. It doesn't matter how hard things are. It doesn't matter if we're 20 minutes behind everyone else. You're doing it in your own way, at your own time, at your own pace. It's so important. It really is. And I think that works for all areas of life as well. Massively. Yeah. And it's about, it's, we hear about this comparisonitis, you know, you're comparing yourself to somebody else. There is no way I could compare myself to an Ironman triathlete because where they are, they've had years and years and years training to get to where they are. And I'm just at the start of my journey. And this is the same in business. People come to me and go, oh, I want to be like, I don't know, Virgin Atlantic. And you go, well, you've got to do the basics. You've got to start with the foundations and grow to that point. You've got to do the steps. And I actually use triathlon a lot in, I use it as an analogy with businesses when I'm trying to get them to set their goals because it's like you've got to break it down you know if you're facing a big triathlon I've got to break it down to the swim bike run the key disciplines and within each part of that I've got to then break it down into loops or marker boys when I'm swimming you've got to break it down to the small little goals and do them one step at a time because before you know it you're a lot further than you realise you're going to be. Yeah, completely. And you can never, ever compare your day one to someone's day 20 
or year one in business to someone's year 20 in business because you like they've gone through so much and we look at people that are really successful and we kind of think well hang on a second I want to be like you know Sir Richard Branson or Bill Gates or JK Rowling or whoever else it is that you aspire to be like but they also had to go through a day one. They had to start somewhere as well. It's just that they're further ahead now. Absolutely. J.K. Rowling is a great example of that as well. How many times was her manuscript turned down before she eventually got it picked up? She went through that slog, just like we all do when we're starting out. Yeah, completely. Thomas Edison is another one that I absolutely, I love the story of the fact that he went through 10,000 iterations of the electric light bulb before he found the one that would actually work. And it's that perseverance. I think when we go through anything, it's that not giving up even though you're being told that you can't. Because in a way, for you, Caroline, your body was telling you, you can't. And you found a way to be able to say, well, actually, yes, I can. And what I love about your story as well is that you haven't just gone out there and done a few triathlons and everything else. You've not only run like an Ironman um, with the lovely Louise Minchin, But you're also now spreading the word of what is possible through setting up a CIC, so community interest company, because when people realise what is possible with a stoma, like the world is your oyster. It is. There's a huge mindset aspect to it. I mean, yes, there's a physical bit and it's not the same for everybody. You know, different surgeries, different other conditions they might have. They've got to juggle. So, you know, I haven't got it perfect, but none of us have got it perfect. But it is, it is this juggling act of getting on with it. And for me personally, I hear so many people fear food. That's a biggie for me, exercise and food. Because when you come away from surgery, you're given booklets. Oh, don't do this, you might get hernia. Don't do this, you can't lift that. You know, there's lots of things. But you do get some of that when you've had a baby like a cesarean. You know, you can't lift heavy things for six weeks or whatever it is. We get that with stoma surgery because it's similar kind of surgery, really, cutting through the abdomen. But I think people worry about the, oh, what if I get a hernia? Oh, what if this happens? Oh, my God. And then they start to step back from just getting back to life. And the same with food. I saw one lady who I was recommended to go and have a chat with her because she'd had surgery and was worried about what to do. And I went around with a packet of biscuits, just plain you know, oat biscuits. And when I got there, she said to me, can I eat those? And I went, yeah, of course you can eat them. And she was so worried about what she could and couldn't eat that she had to ask me whether she was able to eat the biscuits. And I think I've seen so many people and I've heard so many stories, people who have pureed all their food. The fear is blockage. If you get a blockage in your stoma, it is agony. And if it doesn't clear, you've got to go into the hospital. It's got to flush it through, basically. And there are some foods that can be a bit more problematic. Um, I've learned the hard way. I've had a couple in my time. I've been blue lighted across London on one occasion uh, when I was at an event and I got blockage and they blue lighted me to a hospital. There are occasions, but it's living and learning. In the early days, it is more difficult because you've got lots of healing to do, adhesions. You know, your body internally has had to go through a lot. But that doesn't mean you can't introduce food later on 
I hear people eating just yogurts and pureed food or soft food only. Your body needs something to work on. You know, it needs fuel, proper fuel. So for me, I'm passionate about people eating good, healthy food, even with a stoma. They don't need to avoid things. You know, it's the way you use them are different. But again, the exercise, and I've met other people who um, do clinical Pilates and stuff like that. So I have got friends who teach this stuff as well. So uh, there's so much about that. And I just find that that was my message. I wanted more people to hear that. And my online social media was what I was always about. It was about sport. It was about doing things with a stoma. And that's where my following grew. Uh, and I guess, actually, that's where Louise found me. <laughs> so that's where I've now set up this year. And this is off the back of Fearless because the women in Fearless are amazing. And I was absolutely honoured. See, I'll get all teary even talking about this. I was absolutely honoured to be part of Fearless because my own idol is in that book. Lucy Gossage, who's 14 times Ironman champ, is in that book. And I've admired her for years. We're all in a friendship group together now. Um, so, you know, the, the women are amazing. I was included within that. But from Fearless, some of them have their own charities, CICs. And it made me go, do you know what? I can do more with what I do and my skill set and my knowledge and experience to help people. I was already helping people because they would see my story and go, I've seen what you do, Caroline. I've decided to do Couch to 5K. And that inspired me to do more. So this year, I've set up ostomylife.co.uk as a social enterprise. It's so new. It's literally just a matter of months old now. It's trademarked. Um, and it's at that point where I'm starting to build on there. The interest that I've had has been huge, uh, not just general public. I mean, celebrity stuff as well. So it's just the start of something new now that um, I'm working on. But a lot of that's come from being surrounded by those amazing fearless women. And also being visible as yourself and not being afraid to tell people your story. Caroline, I could talk to you all day because I just, I find it so fascinating going from that, hang on a second, I can't live my life to making a very difficult life-changing decision in terms of surgery but actually now I'm going to blow it out of the ballpark <laughs> and I'm just going to go for it in a really big way but help others along the way thank you so much for joining us on the power of storytelling podcast um if people want to find out more about your CIC or they're interested in anything that we've discussed today, how can they reach you? The uh, best way is through ostomylife.co.uk. You can email me through there, contact me through there. It's so new. It's so fresh. You know, it's going to be growing. But do that or contact me through social media. Louise messaged me through social media. It just popped up. Louise off the telly. Just message me through uh, Instagram or Twitter. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on any of those. And uh, I'm happy to talk stoma surgery, health and triathlon. I'll talk for hours. Amazing. And don't forget, if you're thinking, am I ready to really step into owning my own story? Am I ready to really be seen in a much bigger way through the media? Take our free quiz. Find out how ready you are for PR pr-quiz.com. Until next time on the Power of Storytelling podcast, we'll see you then.